Well, we've been in this, we've been talking about this process, and I named it uh, last week, um, about this kind of process of where I believe God has each of us at all times, and it has this process he has us in. But that process is also something we see in Jeremiah 29. And so the process is real simple. I want you, I named it last week. Let's look at it again. It's this. In the context of our lives, go ahead and pull it up for me, Daniel. There you go. Thank you. Uh, the, the idea is that God, in the context of our life, is always bringing awakening, right? He's always bringing awakening. And that awakening is then always leading to compassion, which then leads us to ownership, which then leads us to action. And so, what I, and so we understand this. You know how you're living life, you're doing something, and all of a sudden you see like, I don't know, some sort of like PBS special about an issue? Right? I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. You see something, or a, you read a news article, and then like it catches your eye, and you read it and go, oh, right? And the idea is like all of a sudden in the moment you were awakened to a situation or awakened to a problem that you didn't really even know existed. But now that you know and you're no longer ignorant, you're like, ah, uh, have to do something. And that's what you talk about with compassion. It's like God always in the nature of our lives, he brings in situations and awaken. It could be somebody that you meet. Like, have you ever been with somebody who kind of irritates you? And then you hear their story and you go, I'm such a jerk. <laughs> right? Because their story is overwhelming. Like you went, like you went like, uh, to an awakening in their life and you had a compassion and then you treated them differently. And so what God is always trying to do, in fact, I would just say this, what he's doing in your life today, he's always doing this, he's always in the process of something along these lines, is that God is always bringing an awakening. He's bringing an awakening. We said in Jeremiah 29 and looking at our lives that the first part of awakening in Jeremiah 29 was that God wanted to awaken them to the fact that they had lost their first love. Like they had lost their first love. They had stopped rooting and establishing themselves in their primary relationship with God. They had broken covenant. They cheated on God. They had sinned against him. And God's like, listen, I want to, I'm going to discipline you in Jeremiah. I'm going to discipline you is because that's what good parents do. They discipline, I'm disciplining you so that you will then re be reawakened and establish and reestablish and root yourself in our relationship and covenant relationship together. But the idea then with awakening is that when, when God then awakens us to love for him, what does he always do? Well, he then awakens us to the things that are on his heart. Like you know how marriages are and how relationships work. Whether it's a friend or a marriage, whatever is important to that person who's closest to you, well, it becomes important to you. It's just how it works. It's just how it works. That's healthy relationship. If you care about it, then I'm going to care about it. Because if you care about it and you're that important to me, then I will care about it also. I told Randall yesterday, I said, I need you to be passionate about bass fishing too. Right? I mean, if it's that important to me, I need you to make it important to you. And she's like, mm -mm, right? No, you know what I'm getting at. These things that are important in life. It is important. But I mean, you know what I'm saying. Like, life eternally important. And so in this, God wants to awaken them then to the things that are on his heart. All right, if you're passionate about this. And so what that does is God awakens us to him. Because you all know, the great commandment is twofold. Love, love God and love neighbor. 
You can't have one without the other. You can't love God and then not love neighbor. And there's no way to love your neighbor unless you are loved by and you love God. They have to go together in both whatever direction you go. Right. And so so the idea is to say, listen, the first thing that's awakening and then that's going to lead you to the things that are on my heart, which is compassion. And I want you to be passionate about those things. And so God awakens. He leads us to compassion. That's what he did in Jeremiah 29. He disciplines them. He brings them in. He awakens them to their sin. He awakens them to the fact of this broken covenant relationship. And then he awakens them to the fact that these people who they hate, he loves and they need to love them too. And just as he has a compassion for the Babylonians, then so do they. So awakening to a situation or to a people then leads to a compassion. Listen, and compassion is never, oh, I'm so sorry. That's not biblical compassion, is it? Could you imagine that? Oh, I'm sorry you're dying and go to hell, Steve. Jesus saying that. Oh, I hope you, I hope you, I hope, I hope you find some, find a way out. No, compassion. Okay, I will own, I will literally, I will invest myself into this. Compassion is an investment of self, which then leads to ownership, right? That's what we see. Jesus, excuse me, God said to, to Jonah, listen, I have compassion on these people. He's saying to them, he's saying to the Israelites, I have compassion on the Babylonians. So I want you to seek their prosperity. I want you to seek healing and wholeness and salvation for them. And I want you to own it. Awakening. God's always listen. God this morning, when you woke up, probably actually while you were sleeping, was trying to awaken you to the greater things and the godly things and the things that are on his heart. Every day with every person you meet, he is trying to awaken you to the things that are on his heart for those people. I'll just say this. Every single week, there should be at least three people that you meet. I, I'm just making this up. I haven't, there's, I'm just making it up. Okay, but there should be at least three people that you feel compelled to pray for because you're so in tune and awakened to God's heart for these people that you just feel compelled to pray. Every time. Every week. I mean, probably more, right? So God wants to awaken. So in that, wants to awaken us to a compassion. So then we say, okay, I'm in. I'm going to own this. I'm going to own this with you. So here's where to start this morning. God wants to make you an owner, right? God wants to make you an owner. So this morning, let's take this step into ownership and let's kind of define it this morning. The first part, defining ownership. All of us understand that when we own something with it comes a greater sense of responsibility for the thing that we own, Right? If you go from just being a person to all of a sudden person gives you ownership, what happens? You immediately treat this thing different. How come whenever someone, listen, whenever someone borrows something from you of great value, why do you always get nervous? Why do you always say something like, hey, make sure you treat it like it's your own, right? Because you know that people treat valuable things that they own more with greater compassion and passion than the things that they don't own. I mean, how many of you walk into your 
like, listen, the people who own the condos on the beach are a lot more passionate about you keeping it clean than you are. Right? Because owners take care of things. They take responsibility for things because they treat it like it's their own. And so in this, right, that's why business owners, speaking of business owners, business owners are always looking for someone who will treat the business as their own. Because they know they will sacrifice time, they will sacrifice energy to make sure that what needs to get done will get done. My dad's a business owner. He worked for AT&T for 30 years. When he became a business owner, he goes, oh, oh, I get it. And he looks for people who will own the business with him, and it's hard to find, isn't it? You're looking for people who will sacrifice time and energy to make sure what needs to get done will get done. In fact, in leadership world, the, the proverbial they, right, when speaking about what it takes to move up higher in a company, people are being taught that companies are more interested in finding owners of a job rather than a leader. They're more interested in finding owners of a job rather than the leaders. Why? Because the idea, people can see a leader... People can see a leader leading by how he or she controls situations. They have kind of goals and endpoints and destinations. However, people can see an owner owning because they have a passion for what they do. It's not just goals and endpoints. It's a passion. An owner will work overtime when needed without being asked, savor every opportunity to speak about, give the best of their energy to celebrate what's going on with the company that they're working in. And so every business owner would love to hire people who will own it like they do. That is the definition of owners. Parents, you get it. How many of you bought something for your kids and then they lose it or they break it or they throw it out? You're like, oh my gosh, do you know what to spend on that? Oh my gosh, can't you be more responsible with that? Because the idea is you want all your kids to own the fact that you're buying this for them and to act like owners. Parents try to raise owners. Own the family. Own the stuff that we have. Don't break it. Listen, when I was a kid, I can vividly remember, vividly, saying, Mom goes, you lost another jacket? Mm. See, you've got to own that jacket. You've got to make sure you own that it's your jacket. You cannot lose it. I'm like, I didn't mean to. She's like, I know. Don't lose another, right? Own it. And so the idea of in this, in this is that there's ownership, and the thing we have to recognize is, this is where we begin, is I want you to recognize, listen, God's ownership of his people. See, that's really the beginning point for us this morning. Like, we talk about ownership, and but I would say this, like God goes from awakening to compassion to ownership, but you have to first remember, it's it's... You, you have to recognize that you were first in relationship owned. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, is that God would look at you and say, he belongs to me. She belongs to me. You know how it works. Have you ever had those, listen, you ever had those friends? You've had all this, everybody's had a friend with these friends. Man, when you're one-on-one, super tight. And then all of a sudden they own that friendship and all of a sudden you leave that one-on-one and you walk out here to a group of people and they totally leave you and act like they don't even know you because of you're not cool enough or they're embarrassed, right? And all of a sudden they're no, lo- no longer owning the fact 
that they are your friend, God says, no, 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 I'm with them and they're with me. He owns the relationship. Do you catch that? Like, that's the idea of owning. Not like he owns you, like you have to do what I say. Like, no, an ownership. I'm owning this relationship. We are in relationship together. That's why I love 2 Corinthians. It's so powerful. I'm humbled by it. Chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 says this. Now, it is God who makes both us and you to stand firm in Christ. All right, so hey, listen, God doing his work to make sure that you and me, that we we can stand firm, confident in Christ. Why? Because he's anointed us. That's a really, really pretty way of saying, listen, all right, I pick you up and I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to set you apart into the friendship circle over here. I'm going to anoint you as friend. I'm going to pick you up and place you and anoint you over here as my friend. The second thing I'm going to do, I'm going to set a seal of ownership on you by putting my spirit in your heart as a deposit, guaranteeing that we're going to live together forever. Guaranteeing what's to come. So, like Paul saying, listen, Jesus says, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to anoint you, and I'm going to set my seal of ownership on you. Like, I mean, there's so many ways you could think about the seal and that kind of stuff, but it's like, I mean, imagine, it's like, there's a, like, let's just imagine all of a sudden God goes, all right, you gave life to me. All right, there's a seal. And everywhere you go in the spirit realm, everyone's going to know, I I'm in relationship with you, and you belong to me, and I belong to you. Why do you think you wear a wedding band? It's a, it's a sign, right? It's a sign. It's this, it's this place right here of a seal saying, I belong to Randall, and she belongs to me. That's the beauty of marriage. We've Set covenant saying, I am no longer just by myself. The two shall become one, and I die to self to give my best to you, and vice versa. I own our marriage. God says he owns his relationship, his covenant, and his marriage with us. And I don't know about you, but I remember middle school when I just wanted someone to say, no, no, he's with me. Right? And aren't we always proverbially mentally living in middle school, right? And how we feel about self. Like, I remember. No, man, it's like, I just want to live like God says, no, no, no. He belongs to Steve. No, no, Steve. No, 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 no. He's with me. It's like, yeah, yeah, get off. Yeah, yeah, I'm with God, right? That's the place. There's this ownership. And we see that happening in Jeremiah 29. It's not necessarily super leader, right? Excuse me, it's not, not super clear. No, yeah, super clear. But we see it in Jeremiah 29. That God relates to us as owner, owning this, right? Committed to us, sacrificing, giving the best of himself, savoring that, saying, he savors, saying, no, 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 he's with me. And we see in Jeremiah 29, it says this, verse 6, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And you read that and go, I don't see ownership in that. Like, I don't see anywhere in there like I, that I naturally, progressively see ownership. But it's there. And it's powerful. In fact, when Jeremiah would have spoken these words, there would have been a direct connection point for every single listener who knew the Old Testament and go, oh, oh, Jeremiah is quoting, he's quoting Genesis chapter 13. 
He's using the language of Genesis 13 because Genesis 13, it is the establishment. It is the marriage covenant relationship of God with all of Israel. He says, listen, I'm going to make all, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make all of your descendants as numerous as the stars, for I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And in Jeremiah 29, when these would have heard the language that Jeremiah is using, they automatically would have remembered and heard the language, the covenant language. They'd have remembered the marriage ceremony that Abram had with God. And he's saying, and, and, and God's basically saying, even though you're in sin, even though you you are faithless, even though I've carried you into exile and you're literally over here in a place that you hate, don't worry, I have not forgotten my marriage covenant with you and you go ahead and increase because my covenant is still established and true for you today. That's what they would have heard. That's what they would have heard. Increase. Oh my gosh. God is still with us. Oh, my gosh. God is basically saying, no, man, I have not pulled back on the covenant. Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you've been faithless. But I am faithful. Increase. For I am still in covenant with you. And let me tell you, that's good news. That's good news. A direct allusion to God saying, Man, I own our relationship because I'm faithful. So that's a place for us. We begin that place of God owning our relationship. The second thing is God's ownership of the lost. God's ownership of the lost are those who are far away from God who don't know God, right? There's a really cool shift in regards to the expression of God's heart. So he, he begins in like kind of verse 4 and 5, right, even going into 6, kind of expressing, man, hey, this relationship that you have with me. He's talking about this relationship. Listen, I've not left you. I've not forsaken. I've not turned away. I'm in covenant relationship. We're like, yay. And let's just be honest. We, by nature, love staying in the moment of God telling us how much he loves us. Like, we love that. We love staying in the moment like, oh, man, I just love you, and you're so great, and you're my kid, and I put my seal upon you. Like, keep on, keep on, right? We love the affirmation. We love the blessing. We have the voice, and then God shifts. He says, also, I'm going to leave now talking about my blessing affirmation. I'm going to leave that behind, okay? That's true. So now let's take the next step of the great commandment, which is to love your neighbor, and let's talk about it for a second. You have to leave the affirmation and say, thank you, God, that you love me. Now, God, what would you have me do with you? With you. So we see God's ownership of the lost. Very cool shift, right? He shifts to show his ownership of those who are not his people. It says also, like God's ownership. He says, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to me for it. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, then you too will prosper. God says also, here's the deal, guys. Listen, this is the language we understand. It's ambassador language. You know what an ambassador is? You know, the United States has ambassadors all over the world. And what do they do? They speak on behalf of the President of the United States of America. They don't speak on their own accord. They listen to what's going on, what they're being told. And they go speak. And so he's saying, all right. 
I have my ownership here and 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 you're my ambassadors. I'm sending you on my behalf. But it's God's work. Right. And so in this, we see that God lived. Listen, God lived, awakened. Hear this. God lived, awakened to the lostness of Babylon. He never took his eyes off of those that he created. You recognize it wasn't just the Jews who were created in the image of God. Every single human being was of value to God because they were all created in his image. And he wanted all to know that he loved them and could redeem them and bring them into a place of salvation from the hell and the sin and the separation that defined their life. God may have pulled Israel out of Babel years ago, but he never took his eyes off of them. And we see it because he's saying, all right, I recognize they've been living over here. I don't want to crush them. Remember we said last week he had compassion on them. And so then we see the shift of our ownership or Israel's ownership. Because the thing you have to recognize is God sent his family, his ambassadors as missionaries into Babylon. So God sent Jonah, was the last week, sent Jonah on behalf of the Ninevites so they could turn and know God. I don't mean there's a guy named Jesus. The father sent Jesus into Babylon, the broken, sinful world that we are a part of, to bring salvation to it as a missionary. Do you know what he did with the disciples? He sent them out as missionaries to the entire world to bring salvation to those that were lost. And that's what he was doing with, with Israel. Hey, listen, you're my only, you're my only plan to the salvation of Babylon. I want to awaken you from your sin. I want to awaken you to your relationship with me. I want to awaken you to a compassion for this lost people. I want to give you a compassion. And now I'm saying, go own it. Go own it. Take responsibility for it. Savor the moments you get to go and be sacrificial and walk the extra mile with them. I want you to work extra for the purpose of their salvation. I want you to give the best of yourself without any endpoint. I want you to establish relationship with them. I want you to seek. I want you to seek its prosperity because... Here's the thing he says. The only way you're going to prosper in your life, Israel, is if you seek their peace and prosperity. The only way that you will prosper is if you give your life away to seek the salvation of those who are far off because I have compassion for them. If you just, I mean, everyone knows, if you just sit there all day long, navel gazing, looking at self, what happens? You become self-absorbed and you end up hating life. And he's trying to save them from themselves. He wants there to be an ownership. And let's talk about this word prosper for a moment. You know, prosperity has like kind of this, um, you know, in part of the church today, like prosperity is a primary word. We have a whole gospel, you know, quote unquote gospel for it called the prosperity gospel. And the idea of like, man, God just wants you to be rich, you want you to be happy all the time, right? All that kind of stuff, right? And, and, and it's crazy because, biblically speaking, that's just not what prosperity means. Like the word prosper, the word prosperity in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word shalom. 
Arguably the most important word in all of the Old Testament. I shared this on Friday night with a group at a summit, right? Like it arguably may be the most important word in all of the Old Testament. And so what, pros- what prosperity speaks about is the shalom. It means this, like a, a holistic peace. Like holistic, the whole of peace, right? The whole of peace. And so let's just kind of put it in language we really understand. Super simple. Let's say to you, let's say I say to you, hey, would you prefer to have unlimited wealth as prosperity or would you prefer to have unlimited peace? Well, anyone in their right mind would say, I would much rather have unlimited peace because that means I can have peace holistically even in my poverty. I would much rather be at peace with nothing than miserable with everything. So why do we give ourselves to prosperity in the context of stuff as the primary pursuit of many of our lives? When God's saying, no, my desire is to bring a holistic shalom, a holistic peace. And I want you to pursue that. So shalom, just if you take the strong concordance here, just a, a few things it means. It means bringing a completeness to a person. Bringing a completeness, a, a wholeness in their life through God. It means bringing a safety of never worrying about the end of my life. What's going to happen because I have a safety because I know God. He's for me. Shalom. It means a health and a welfare that no matter what happens, God is there. And he's fighting for me with my welfare, my health. That God, shalom, can bring an inner contentment. Shalom means contentment. In the very inner core of my being, I have shalom in the presence of those who are trying to murder me. That's what, P, that's what Stephen says, right? He's getting stoned and all of a sudden he says, look, he looked up and he has one as if, whatever, like, a, like an angel or something like that. Showing an expression of peace literally in the moment of him being crucified or excuse me, the moment of him being killed and martyred for his faith. And shalom, I mean, I mean, the last word, it means friendship. You know what it means? Like, listen, here's the deal. I'm speaking of a shalom slash friendship that you are friends with your enemies and that you help establish a shalom friendship between this lost people and God. Hey, y'all. God wants to awaken you to his great love and ownership of your relationship that brings shalom to you. Like you recognize you can't give shalom if you don't have shalom, right? He brings holistic peace to you in the context of life so that you can celebrate what he's given so that you can give it away. And the desire of God is this awakening with a compassion to recognize this person is lost and hurting in need of shalom. And you say, I've got shalom. I have living water. I am. Listen, Jesus is in me. So I am a light on the side of a, I'm the, on the light on the side of a hill and you can be drawn to the Jesus in me. Right. I am. I am salt that brings flavor to life through Jesus in me because he's given it to me. Shalom. 
And so in this, God's desire, awakening compassion to own, bringing shalom, our future, our future simple. It's to be like Jonah. It's to be like the Israelites over here in Babylon. It's to be like Jesus to the world in which we live. It's to be like the disciples that he raised up. It's to awaken to God, to awaken to God, it's to, be, to have a compassion for those who don't yet know him, who were hurting, who were lost, and to own bringing holistic peace in their lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why we have 48 acres. It's why God established us in the first place. Our future, God has compassion for you. Yay. God has compassion for our community. Yay. And God has compassion through you for those who are far from him. God has, God is owning his relationship with you. Yay, right? God is owning his relationship with our community. And God is owning his movements in the lives of those who are far away from him through you and me. And it begins with the awakening. God's desire this morning is to just awaken with great compassion and ask you questions. Hey, so let's just talk about where you are with awakening, compassion, and ownership. Like he's not being mean. He's not giving me the stink eye how he's doing it. Right? He's not angry when he's talking to me. It's like, hey, can we just have an honest conversation? Let's have an honest conversation about where we are in the context, where we are as a church, where we are individually as an, like awakening and and owning, through the awakening and compassion and owning. And here are just like five, five questions that I want you to apply to your life this morning. Number one, ownership must treat the needs of our community as if they are our own needs. Right? This is a great picture-taking moment so you can process these things this week. So then I would go back and ask the question, all right, God, like before God, like I'm with God. So God, how do you think that I'm doing at treating the needs of our community as if they are my own needs? Like, how am I doing? Second, ownership is about getting something done no matter the cost. So God, how am I doing the things you've awakened me to? How am I doing at owning and getting something done no matter the cost? Because that's what owners do, right? Third, ownership takes responsibility for the needs of those whom God has a compassion for. So, God, you've awakened me. I'm going to own. How am I doing owning responsibility for the needs of those, God, that you've given me compassion for? These are great questions to ask ourselves. Four, ownership doesn't view people's needs transactionally, but instead sees them passionately. We don't win people. We love people. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, we treat relationships transactionally. Okay, I'm going to do this so I can do this so I can get this from them. All right, so I'm going to like, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to evangelize them so I can get them saved and then move on to the next person who needs to get saved. Is that what friends do? Get people saved and move on? There's no love in that. What if Jesus, oh, I got you saved. I'm moving on now. Get somebody. No, he doesn't do that. He says, you're part of my family. I love you. I'm not going to, we're not, we're not a transaction. We're a love relationship. 
Number five, owners must say, you can trust me to follow through. If there is one black eye for our generation is that when the going gets tough, we run. Don't we? Because we like to give ourselves the things that are easy. We would rather throw money at something rather than give our time. That is the black, that's the curse. That's the black eye of our culture. Man, it's hard. I'm out of here. Someone else will do it. And Jesus says, well, my eyes are ranging to and fro throughout the earth to seek those whose hearts are fully committed to me and will walk the extra mile and do the hard thing and not give up and look at somebody and say, you can trust me. Can people say that about us? Can they say it about you? Are you trustworthy to finish the race that you begin with somebody? Or is it just too hard and it costs you too much and it takes away from your vacation and takes away from your sleep time? And so you're like, duh, that's not the Lord's will for me. Bullhockey. God looks and says, can I just be honest with you? Can I just be honest in the questions that I ask you? Can I just be honest with you about your feelings? Yours, man, you're a slave to them. You're a slave to your feelings. I just don't feel like that. Who cares? There has to be an awakening. There has to be a compassion. And there has to be an ownership. If you want to model, just look at the life of Jesus. This is true love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. You want, here's the deal. You know why this is important? I want you to hear this theologically. Okay, why is it important? It's not a work. We're not works-oriented. You're saying, so when it says, seek the prosperity, seek the holistic shalom, so that you can have it, that's not works-oriented. What that is, is God gives grace to the humble who get out of their own way and to let my grace flow in power through them, to them, and for other people. God gives grace to the humble. Man, God, God brings prosperity to those who just humbly say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Mother Teresa said, I didn't, listen, I, I wasn't called to the poor. I was just called to follow Jesus. And he led me sacrificially with everything I have in me to the poor. And he, she gave her life for all of them and did absolutely nothing of ultimate importance in the context of the world and won the Nobel Peace Prize. I've been to her homes. They're not even that nice. But God used her to say, it's not my life, it's not my will, but your will be done. So, let's do it. Let's be that. Like, I don't know if you know people who don't like the church, but if this was the church and this was us, they would like it, and they would like Jesus. They might like what he says, but they would like him. That's what we want to be. God wants to make you and me owners. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful. We're thankful for your presence. 
God, it's so interesting when we come together, Lord, and I, and I say this, Lord, it's such an interesting dynamic for me. Of, I'm, a, I'm preaching to people, Lord, who some are in sin. I'm preaching to some people, God, who are just running their race with everything inside of them today. God, I'm preaching to people who are lost. And I'm preaching to people, God, who think about even doing anything is just so overwhelming because they're barely making it. And so first, Father, I thank you that in the owning, I thank you that it begins with awakening. Because for all of us, Lord, your first thing you want is awaken us, that you love us, and that you have a compassion for us, and that you were for us, that you were not against us, that you are with us, and that you were faithful. You would have root us in the context Lord, of our relationship. And so I pray first today, before we get into owning all that kind of stuff, that God, you would awaken each of us to where we are in your great love for us. I pray today, Lord, that you would awaken in the heart of each person here, Lord. God, that you were so compassionate, God. That you, with great joy, say, no, 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 no. I own this one. She belongs to me. And she's struggling. And I have compassion for her. And so should you. I'm guarding her, protecting her. God, I praise you that you then challenge us to say, all right. Also, verse 7, we've got to move. We've got to move from just focusing on you. Let's seek the prosperity of the people that you live among who don't know me. Give yourself to bringing about holistic peace for a world that's dying. And when you do, I give grace to the humble. and I pour the best of myself out without measure to the point that you, Ezekiel 47, you were part of the river that is flowing of God's presence and it takes you wherever he wants you to go. Jesus, come. This morning I invite you to respond. I know it's probably like a weird message to respond to. You're like, ah, oh, what do I do with all that? One, I just want you to be honest. Just be honest about these things, where you are, where you're struggling, where you've been selfish, where you're just wrestling in that, where you feel the tension, where you feel like you're riding the fence. Just be honest. Let God ask you questions with great love and compassion. Listen. Give him an ear. Give him ear. Give him ear to listen to him. Pray for the things you know you feel convicted about. If you're barely making up, I thought someone this morning, it's like, I just, just can't even seem to make it, Steve, let alone give my life away. Then fantastic God says to you, don't break a bruised reed. Don't snuff out a smoldering wick who's struggling. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come, eat of me and drink because I have the richest of fare and come partake of life. Respond this morning by saying, God, I just need you this morning. Offering baskets always available for you to be just to be honest, to be um to worship the Lord's eyes and offerings and communion is to always remind us of 
of his love and his sacrifice and the compassion poured out. And as we take it, we say, now God, renew it again in me. This right spirit of understanding your love for me so that I can love others. All right. I'll come back in a few minutes. Would you respond as